story like this, and I wonder where you are in Jonah's story this afternoon. We're going to take a minute at the tables. If you turn to page nine, just before we try to come to a conclusion of what God's doing here this afternoon, um, page top of page nine, there's a verse that Jesus says. Uh, passage that he shared from the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus says you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies bless those who curse you do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfection here to Jesus is love your enemies and bless those who curse you. So I've put some questions down here for you to just consider in your groups and maybe you have some of your own stories to share or maybe you're just struggling with something that's difficult and I want us to think about this this afternoon. Which part of Jonah's story do you most identify with today? Do you have Jonah or God's heart and mind for the world? What person or group of people have you thought does not deserve mercy? Are you prejudiced at all by colour, race, economic status, church denomination, personal experience, or something else? Think back to what we learned about the board, the mind, the heart, the memory, the will, the emotions. What influences your prejudices? What experiences influences your prejudice against someone that God wants you to love and you think they're unlovable and they deserve judgment rather than mercy? Which person or group of people does God want you to love and show his mercy and grace to? Those are quite personal questions. And I want, before you have a group discussion, I want you to just take a minute. We're not going to be much longer today. There's a couple more things I'm going to share. We're going to have some worship time to close, but um, I know this is quite a heavy message that we've gone through. But I think it's important. I think we have to search our hearts to ask, is there any person or group of people that I have a wrong attitude towards? that I've been judging, criticizing. Do I have a self-righteous attitude? Jonah was in the fish, but Jonah was a selfish, right? Selfish. He put selfish. <laughs> I mean, he was a selfish man that was concerned with his own comfort. And we can be very selfish. We are very comfortable in this society of where we live, no matter what your conditions are. You are living, I am living, way above what most people in this world live in. And we live in a country which has access to the Bible. When God first told me that he was trying to ship around from Asia and wanted me to focus on the US, I was absolutely like, no way. 
And when I first started out doing ministry and talking about broken women and what God was doing, I would have people here say, well, we've got plenty of broken women here, you know. Like, you know, I, people who are ministry hear that a lot. People who do missions hear that a lot. Well, we've got people in our own neighborhood that are hurting. My answer to that was, well, go help them. Because God's told me to go over there. Don't come and complain to me. You go do it. If you've been given the heart, if you see the mercy, go do something. Don't judge somebody else because of who they're going to. Yes, of course, there's hurting people all around us. But maybe if you're seeing the problem, you're the person that's meant to go do something. So don't judge, right? It's really easy. Oh, they're always sending money overseas. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about that. I went to a Billy Graham Association meeting on fundraising. And... Um, they said that 5% five, five of the money that is raised in the whole of the United States actually gets outside of the place to the 1040 window, which is where the biggest number of unreached people are. 5%. That means 95% of all the money that's raised for charities in the United States stays in the United States. I think God's going to hold us accountable for that. There are people dying and going to hell every single day. In this country, we have a ratio of one Christian leader to 177 of the population. One Christian leader for every 177 people in this country. In Asia, there is one Christian to every 33,000 people. Where should we be sending our resources? So when I was first called, God was saying to me, come and minister in the United States and you know, do some work here. I was like, you must be kidding me. They've got so many resources, why would I add more resources? And very good resources, great resources. And there was no place for me here that I could see. But then I realized there was, because many of those resources, we're sitting and we're eating them, and we're taking them in, and they're great, but what are we doing with it? Once you've fed, who are you going to go and share a meal with? If I've received, then surely I should give. Out of my plentifulness, I am blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. America has been blessed to be a blessing. To help others who don't have. I was in a, a YMCA in India in one of my early trips and there was a girl in the room across the road and somebody brought her to me because she'd just been saved. She was saved out of a Hindu background. Um, but she didn't know anything really about the Bible. She'd just been saved one month. And the housekeeper at the YMCA brought her to me and said, Liz, could you help her? And so she would come to my room every morning and we would get into the ward. And, um, you know, and when I think about it, when she first, this lady asked me if I would meet this woman, I said, no. I said, no, I'm, I'm busy. I've got, I'm doing classes here and I've got conference going, I've got training and workshops. See, I was ready. I'm all right. I've got my plans and I need to go. And God's going, I want you to deal with this one woman, Liz, who's come from an area where they have nothing, no Bibles, no teaching in the Word of God, and I've brought her to the room next door to you and you are going to spend time with that girl. Because that's why she's here. And the rest of your agenda has to wait. She asked me to explain the book of Ruth to her. She'd taken a new name on. Because she knew her old name had a Hindu connotation. So she asked me to explain the book of Ruth. 
And so I tried to very simply explain who Boaz was, a type of Jesus, <clears throat> and how he loves us. And at the end of the whole story, she looked at me and she said, is it really true that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Because they worship 33 million gods. And I said, yes, Jesus is the only way. And she started crying. And she looked at me and her face was horrified. Why has nobody told us? There are thousands and thousands of people in my state. My state. Now, there's over a billion people in India. She was from the state of Gujarat. She said, there are hundreds of thousands of people in my state. We've never heard about Jesus. We don't know who he is. We've never seen a Bible. We don't know what this book. I've met with those people. I've talked to them about them. They'll say, what is this book? This is truth. When you start reading it, like, this is truth. What is this? Never heard it. And there's voices around the world that are crying out, pray for me. Pray for me. Who are those voices? People you've never met yet. People you might never know. You might not be able to do anything, but we can pray. Even if we can't go, we can pray. We can give. But first we've got to deal with our own hearts. Do I have a prejudice against someone, another nation, another country, another color, another church? I don't want them to be blessed. I'm mad with them. God says he can't hear our prayers when there's sin in our hearts. It starts here. Am I right before God? We don't just go one time into the belly of the fish. We're going to keep going because he says he's going to transform us from glory to glory. And every little two is another time of transformation. Another humbling, another breaking, another bringing me back to cry out desperately to him. And I want you to have this opportunity this afternoon to look at these questions and say, which part of Jonah's story is you today? The good, the bad, or the ugly one? What kind of woman do you want to be? What is the Holy Spirit saying to your heart? And then I want you to look at the bottom of page 9. There's a question that says, What's in your heart or mind that prevents you wanting to bless others? Is it fear, resentment, anger, unforgiveness, disappointment, unbelief, or unconcern? I heard a doctor once say that the five things that cause the greatest problems leading us to be on medications are in these first five. And we named it fraud. If I live like a fraud, not being the true woman of God he created me to be, I'm going to live with fear, resentment, anger, unforgiveness, disappointment. And any one of those going on, all of them connected to my hand, if any one of those have broken my finger, if any one of those is in play in my life, my hand will be weak. It won't operate the way it's meant to operate. It's, a, it's not a real hand. It's not a fully functioning hand. So I need to be able to identify what are the things that are causing me to have a weak hand so that I can't help others. I need to live by faith. If you write the other hand, faith, freedom, free to be the woman God made me to be. A, affirmed, 
I am affirmed by him. I don't need anybody else to affirm me because he affirms me. I, identity. I have his identity and I'm a daughter of the king. T, I'm transformed by his truth and by his love. And he's transforming me all the time. I'm not finished yet. And H, I have hope. I have hope in a God who is faithful. A God of second chances. A God of grace. A God whose plans for me are good. To prosper me and not to harm me. What is stopping you living by faith? Let me say those words again. Faith. Freedom, affirmation, identity, transformed, hope. You get into bed at night and you're struggling with any of the fraud issues, which are, say them with me, fear, resentment, anger, unforgiveness, or disappointment. You lie in bed struggling with any one of those, you say, that is not the true me. This is me. And you hold up the other hand and you say, I am a woman of faith. But today I want to give you an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit, are any of those operating in your life? Is there anything in your heart? Disappointment can be such a huge block to hope. You've had a disappointment in your life. Things haven't worked out the way that you thought they would or hoped they would. And it stops you trusting God. It causes a disconnect. I know because I've experienced it. It's almost like, yeah, I love God. I know He loves me. I know I'm called by God. I know I have a purpose. But there's a part of my heart that's been so broken that I don't want to have hope anymore. Because my hope's been crushed so many times because of disappointment. Things didn't work out. And that means I don't want to bless others. I'm afraid to pray for others because it didn't work out for me. So I'm afraid to, afraid to pray for you. And that has to be dealt with. I've got to confess that and say, Lord, forgive me for doubting you. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, God said, if I don't forgive others, he won't forgive me. Even as a believer, it means, yes, I have my salvation, but I'm going to live in torment because I, haven't, I can't have a relationship with God. If I can't bless others, how can I receive his forgiveness when I don't forgive others that have hurt me? I'm going to pray for others and reach others, I have to forgive them. Even those people that I don't know, that I see on the news that are doing evil things, God says I have to forgive them and pray for them. Is it unbelief that God can do something, maybe God's, you know, put something in front of you to pray for and you don't believe they can get saved or you, you just think hey, they're too much of a mess. Their mindset is just so radically opposed to what God's ways are and what I want to share with them. They will never believe. Well, I want to give you a prayer this afternoon. The leaders, your table leaders, have that prayer. In fact, we'll hand it out right now. Good. And it's a verse from Acts chapter 26, verse 18. And I found this to be a great prayer. To, you know, if you pray the word, praying God's word back to him is the best way, the most powerful way to see prayer answered. Because God will, will not answer his own word. He's promised his word. And so... Um, if you have that in front of you, this prayer, it's the word that Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul. Paul recounts this testimony, and it was, Lord, open their eyes 
to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in him. How do I pray for the unbeliever? Start praying that God will open their eyes and turn them from darkness and from the power of Satan. That's what Jesus sent Paul to do. And I want to pass that on to you. Ask God to show you who the unbelievers are in your neighborhood, in your community, in your office, somewhere else, maybe it's another part of the world, he might put a country or a place on your heart. Start praying for them and start praying this. God, open their eyes. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to open people's eyes. We can't do it. God has to do it. And prayer is the start of how we can influence other people. But it starts with us. Do I have unbelief? Do I believe that God can do this? And if I don't, I need to confess. I don't even believe in it, Lord. I, I don't believe that you can do a Nineveh revival in the life of the person that I'm concerned about, my children, my family, my neighbors, whoever it is. Do you need to confess that? Or are you unconcerned? Like, I really thought about it, but most of the world is dying and going to hell. It's not a concern for me, I'm fine, I'm comfortable, I've got my church group, I've got my family, I'm okay. It's not okay. Because there are some people that are crying out just like the sailors were crying out. Don't you care that we are perishing? Pray to your God on our behalf that we might live. And if you can't hear that voice, ask God to let you hear that voice ringing in your mind. I have to ask him because, to be honest, my, my own default will go back to comfort. Praying is hard work. Praying costs something. That's why we don't do very much of it. And that's why the prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in any church. It's too much like hard work. And most of us don't know how to pray, and so the ones that turn up, we all get put off. And we think, I'm not going to go through that again, because all we did was come and talk and gossip and share about our dog and our cat and our children not getting through their degrees or not getting through their exams. I mean, seriously, we need to wake up and know what to pray for and pray for people's well-being, spiritual well-being. There is a time and absolutely a place that we pray for our children and our health and our families. And because God has told us to cry out, and we want to do that. But there's also a place to pray for others, and I believe we pray for them first. And God will take care of my needs. He said, Adam, go and take care of the garden, and I'll take care of you. Take care of others, and God will take care of you. So take a moment just to bow your heads as we consider that. And, um, what is the Lord saying to you in this? What does the Lord want to do today in your life? Go through those questions and ask Him. I'd like to invite you for just five minutes to turn to page 10. And I just read that chapter on Let This Mind Be You, which is also in Christ Jesus. And there's a couple of questions there. Those previous ones were a reflection for you personally, but you're welcome to discuss those. But moving on here, look at that, those verses. It says, what mind, heart, and attitude do we need in order to reflect Jesus? What does that passage tell us about having the mind of Christ? What's it going to involve for us? Go through together and 
either underline those words or talk about, come up with what do I need to do to have a mind like Jesus? What's it going to take for me to have that mind? And how can I show someone or a group of people that I value them above myself and my own thoughts and feelings? And then finally, what's one way that God is calling you to reach out to unbelievers around you or in another country or culture to show them his love, grace, and mercy? We take a minute to just have a discussion about what kind of mind do we need to have to be like Jesus. As we close, you know, often I've thought about when we had Let's Get Real, we're often thinking about what God's doing in our own hearts. It's a time of healing. It's a time of responding to the Lord to, to break bondages in our own lives or to help us to leave here with another level of freedom or a conviction about how he wants to change us, what he's doing in our lives. And, um, but often that's very much inward thinking. And there is a place for that this afternoon. We're going to have some worship and some time for you to just come forward to the altar if you'd like to do that or to come forward for prayer. Because if there are any of those things in your heart that we talked about that are holding you back, that are causing you to live less than God wants you to do, then we want to give you an opportunity this afternoon to be able to just bring that to Him. To just bring it to Him and let Him break that and to change and heal you. But I also want to give you an opportunity to respond to anything that God might be calling you to do to build His kingdom. And um, so I come back to this verse. What do you mean sleeper? Are we sleeping? And if we are, is God knocking on some of our hearts and saying, wake up, call on your God. Maybe God will consider some of the brokenhearted, lost people in your life so that they won't perish. Who is crying out for your prayers? When I got now, I met two women who turned out to be leading our ministry there who had prayed for 14 years that God would send someone to help them to reach the women. 14 years. In India, the same thing happened. I got to India and I met a girl um, who had been leading a group of women in prayer. They had been praying for 14 years that God would send someone to help the women of India. Now, I'm not the whole answer to the problem of the women or India, and I would never presume that, but I had a part in it. But 14 years, God was preparing me in a belly of a fish several times. Lots of pain, lots of trouble that God was molding and shaping me and preparing me to be the answer to somebody's prayer. So you don't know that God has sent as a mana so that you can be an answer to somebody else's prayer. So your pain may be deep, it may be a difficult struggle, a difficult situation, but allow the Lord to use it and lead you through it to a place where you're going to bring Him glory. And some other women or children or men that God wants you to minister to. What we're going to do is I'm going to invite us to finish with a time of worship. And during this worship time, I'm going to ask that the Lord will, will work in your heart according to what He knows you need. If it's a healing, as I've said, if it's a freedom, if it's something that you just need to come confess to the Lord, you can come down here and pray with one of us. There's a few girls are going to be up here that you can pray with. Or just come and bring it to Him. And I'm also going to put out a call there to say, is there anyone in this room 
It might just be one person that God is calling you to serve him in full-time missions or in ministry in some way where your heart has been beating with that. You don't know what that call is. But you're just saying, yes, Lord. And it might not look like full-time where you're not, you give up your day job. It's just, Lord, I want to take a step to serving you. I don't know what it is, but I know you're calling me. That's how I started. It was every meeting, there was a challenge. My heart was going boom, 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 boom. And I'm down the altar going, yes, Lord, I don't know what you're calling me to, but I know I'm called. I just don't know what to. For years that went on. I was 45 before you revealed what you called me to. But for the five, uh, 10, 15 years before that, I was at every altar call. Me, Lord, up here, use me. So I feel like I want to offer you that opportunity. Because God will honor that. Bring that heart to the altar and say, I'm here, Lord, use me. Wherever you want me to be. 